Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast supported by FNB Channel Islands. On our final football pod of the season, we'll be looking back at Saturday's Jeremy Cup final as Saints sealed another piece of silverware, though not the exact piece of silverware they're expecting. More on that in a moment. Uh, With the plug pulled on the Rangers-Manza merger, we'll ask where that leaves both clubs and we'll be speaking to the veteran midfielder who's just hung up his boots at the tender age of 76. I'm Tony Kerr and with me today as ever is Rob Batiste. How do? And I'm delighted to say making his pod debut is Guernsey Press editor and all-round football man James Faller. Hi Tony. Great to have you here. Uh, Let's start with Saturday shall we? Uh, Saints very much marching on. Uh, They beat Rovers 1-0 at the track thanks to a first half Dom Home goal uh, to win the Jeremy Cup for the first time since 2011. Here's what coach Leon Meekin said after the game. It was uh, yeah, a very close game, pretty competitive. I think both teams um, gave it their all. I mean, you, you saw the players on both sides at the end kind of almost falling off the pitch. They, they'd put so much energy into today, but um, I think our, our little bit of quality in the first half uh, was a difference and yeah, delighted to win. It's good to see the lots of Ben Fulton. I hear this will be his final game before he goes back to Australia. Yeah. Go out on a winning note? Absolutely. He was brilliant again today, wasn't he? He was phenomenal. Um, he has been all season and uh, we're certainly going to miss him. But, uh, you know, they're big boots for somebody to fill next season uh, and next week in the FA Cup final. Your goalkeeper looked at... Tad lame at the end there after that. Yeah, challenge. yeah, pretty nasty challenge. Um, I thought the, uh, the forwards were lucky to stay on the pitch, to be honest. Um, we, we, we obviously don't know how the extent of Jason's injury yet, but we'll we hope it's nothing too serious. Rob, another trophy then for Leon Meakin and his men. Uh, it wasn't a classic, uh, but it certainly was quite feisty towards the end. Uh, do you think Saints deserved it? Oh, Saints certainly deserved it, um, for sure. Um, Rovers were overall pretty poor, to be honest, and pretty toothless. Um, even when they were gifted almost a golden opportunity to get back into the game in the last 10 minutes when poor old Jason Martin um, could barely stand up and move. They won two free kicks in very promising positions near the touchline, which required simply the ball to be knocked deep into the, the Saints' goal mouth, making Jason move and they failed utterly to get anywhere near that, um, to achieve that. It was pretty poor effort, um, I'd say pretty toothless. Poor old Finn up front was fighting a lone battle. Carlos, again, had a very, very indifferent game. Unfortunately, a really, really fine player, Carlos, but in the last couple of months, he seems to have gone, miss- gone missing. Um, but I thought the gap between the Rovers' defence and the forward line was massive and far, far too big, and um, I felt sorry for their, their midfield to a certain extent. They were, being, they were asked to do far too much, cover too much ground. So there was something um, badly wrong in Rovers' tactics there. But Saints, were the usual Saints, strong, well-organised, never looked like conceding, to be honest, even though there was a couple of efforts which flew past the post in the first half. Um, I've got three bullet points. Poor game, poor tackle, and poor effort on the fact there was no trophy, which um, <laughs> the only thing that was really, really good was the goal, and which was very well worked. We'll come on to the trophy in a moment. Um, yeah, certainly uh, Jason Martin was 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 hobbling um, pretty severely by the end. Definitely couldn't take part in the obligatory sort of bouncing around with the trophy after full time. Uh, yeah, James, what, what did you make of the game and that tackle in particular? Do you think could have seen red potentially? A lot of the game was uh, never in doubt for Saints, I think, from, from the word go. It was in no way would you have thought that that was a match between the two 
top sides in Guernsey who were, you know, who've been gunning for the title all season. I thought Rovers were were very disappointing, and Saints, you know, would like the dominant boxer just basically keeping their opponents at arm's length. You know, as hard as uh, as Rovers tried, they just weren't uh, on the same level on, on the day. Um, the the tackle it was one of those. Um, uh, you know, crossfield balls uh, played in. Uh, keeper comes out to claim it. Striker will say, "I had to go for it." Uh, personally, I don't like those challenges at all. I mean, I, I, but I think the expectation is not that they should carry a, a red card. Um, you know, the the striker will say, "Oh, I had to go for it," but the the goalkeeper is carrying a hundred percent risk when he goes out. You know, at the striker's feet, uh, chest, head arms you know uh, being greeted by the sole of a, of a boot flying towards them there's absolutely zero risk on the striker in that in that situation uh, and you know I have seen you know been involved in refereeing those um, those challenges previously and I must say I feel that you know they, they probably should carry a red card sanction but they tend not to because people you know the players uh, supporters don't really expect a red card in that circumstance. And as Rob said, um, Saints' goal really was, uh, it was another wonderful team goal. They put one together in that game against Bells to to clinch the Prio title and then did it again on Saturday. Uh, you know, they've been sort of ca- characterised as a hard-working, organised side, but when they do click, they, they can produce some uh, some real moments of magic. Yeah, there was it was a really well-worked goal. Great long ball from Louis Hunter from one side to the other. Lovely first touch by Jake Lowe, who must be said has been one of the top defenders all season and was very, very unlucky not to get in my old heart, my, my pre-league 11. I was just so desperate to get Ben the talk in somewhere, but as an out-and-out left-back, he's been the outstanding left-back of the season. Let that be said, Jake knocked it in to Cowell Asher, who fed the ball on to Fraser McGuinness, and it was a lovely reverse pass to Domiome, who had, it has to be said, a lot of space to tuck away his finish because I think the keeper um, allowed far, far too much room at the near post. Let's talk about the silverware then, the trophy that went up at the end. Eagle-eyed observers will have noticed was not the Jeremy Cup. No, it was this good old stranger without its base. Um, you have to feel sorry for the GFA on this one. And um, to be honest, they've um, been chasing St Paul's for this trophy since December. And I'm told uh, only moments ago that they've been chasing on a monthly basis and St Paul's have failed, singly failed, to do what they should po- supposed to do. It is an embarrassment. St Paul's should be deeply embarrassed. They would be furious if, if they were turning up for a competition and that trophy wasn't in place. Um, be interesting to see what happens, potentially. Will they be... Um, um, thrown out the competition next season or not invited to compete um, that's obviously one thing that GFA uh, could do um, where is the trophy is the big question um, apparently and this is incredible to think there's only 20 miles between us that it was posted on the 27th of May um, which is now 11 days ago and it still isn't here where is it Where's our cup? It's it's worth many many thousands. This thing, um, it's irreplaceable. It is, you know, it is insured to, for for loss and damage. But with a lot with these, same with all these old trophies, the Marathi, the Siam, Weiwei, Jeremy, etc. They are irreplaceable. You can't remake these things, um, and it's it's very very poor show. St Paul's, you should be um, taking the task. 
I mean, it is a unique piece of, of local football history as an item. And for those players, I guess, you know, it's the first time a Guernsey club's lifted it for, or would have lifted it um, in nine years. Jim, do you think this sort of uh, faux pas, if we can put it sort of lightly, uh, should carry a sanction? I don't think the players would have known the difference, to be honest, between one, one cup and, and, and another. But um, yeah, I mean, this, this trophy dates back to 1902. Uh, which you know is definitely a historical uh, element that worth worth keeping, and you know all our trophies um, in Guernsey football have you know, carry fantastic stories with them, and so they're absolutely essential part of uh, of the game and the social history and fabric of uh, of the game. Um, in terms of whether there will be a sanction, that will be something for the GFA. Um, it uh, will probably be a decision that will be made without me, uh, and so I'll uh, I'll just stay. Dis- discreet on on what i think well let's hope it turns up soon uh if you've seen it let us know uh, that's right <laughs> if it's got it somewhere it might uh, be delivered with the papers tomorrow's papers you know and i just hope it's not a rough day and goes it doesn't go over overboard <laughs> we've still got the gfa cup final to come hopefully that trophy uh is is somewhere to hand um ben coulter played his last game for saints so he won't be there this weekend um do you think well, do you guys expect that, that uh, Saints will still have enough for, for Sylvans on the day? Yes, I do. Um, Saints got the bit between their teeth. They're determined to win it, do their treble. Sylvans have done really, really well this season. They've played out of their skins and to reach a final. It would be it would be really nice to see Sylvans, and I think you probably most of the Guernsey footballing public or the neutrals would like to see Sylvans win it because... They are, in many ways, you should say, good eggs. And, um, you know, Saints have been dominant. I think people like to see things shown, um, shared around. But in reality, they need, they need to score first. Kyle needs to have one of his really good games. And they need to defend like Tigers. And, um, yeah, I'm, I think it'll be tight because Silvers do keep things quite tight. But I suspect another very narrow win for St Martins. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another 1-0. They churn these results out, don't they? That's uh, that's Saints' secret this season. They you know, rarely blow teams away. But you think if, I mean, last weekend, one previous, um, Rovers you know, dominated a game against Sylvans, which finished one all. Uh, on the basis of what happened last Saturday, you kind of would would fear for Silvers. You, you know, you can't see on on that level of performance that they will be able to mount a significant challenge. But I do hope for the, you know, for the, uh, closer for the season that uh, that they are able to do so because I did go down on Saturday looking forward to a decent competitive game between the top two and sadly that didn't materialise. Well, we'll see how it plays out. The uh, the finale to the first team season uh, taking place at the Corbett Field on Saturday. Um, plenty more coverage to come of that from us, of course. Uh, but that's it for part one. Next up, we'll reflect on where the collapse of the Rangers Manzert merger leaves those two clubs. Welcome back to the final GP football pod of the season. Now, it was something that sprung very much out of the blue and looked nailed on last week. Rangers' merger with Manza seemed like it would suit both parties, Guernsey's oldest club and one of its youngest joining forces to forge a bright future at the KG5. But some last-minute complications scuppered that deal, with Manza pulling out and saying that they'll plough on alone. Uh, Rob, what was your reaction when you heard the deal was off? 
real disappointment because I thought it was a really good plan. Um, obviously, they didn't dot their I's and cross their T's as they should have done before they actually went public on this and started telling too many people. But as I wrote on Saturday, you can't keep anything secret over here, it's seemingly. Um, as I say, I thought it was a really good opportunity for both teams. Manza quite clearly needed extra players to continue at pre-league level with the bulk of their better players heading off back to GFC. Rangers needed an influx of good, experienced talent um, for their exciting bunch of young players. Um, but also is on in terms of coaching, image of the club. I mean, it, it really made sense for Rangers. I mean, to play your home games, potentially... Um, at the KG5 on the new pitch in front of the um, the, the new um, established piv- um, and designed pavilion um, really made sense. It would be a great pitch to play on, um, far, far, far better than um, the Rangers pitch at St Andrews, which, you know, is very tight, um, always has been. It's not in the most appealing place to play, let's face it, for certainly for first-team football and develop good young players. Um, it really made sense. You know, Manza, by their own admission, knew that they haven't got a long time life, but they had two um, very um, good sponsors um, still willing to put money into the club. And all it required was for the Manza prefix to be um, run alongside Rangers um, for probably one or two seasons. Um, from what I understand, Rangers were going to basically still run the club uh, as as it was, um, there was going to be very little um, impact from the Manza in terms of at board level. It was going to remain Rangers, Guernsey Rangers Football Club. There was no giving up of that, of all that history, going back to 1893. But I'm afraid um, it didn't sit well, seemingly, with a group of um, individuals, senior individuals um, at St Andrews. And we're already hearing that one bulk, the whole of their railway team are, are going to walk off and take their ball somewhere else, um, which is very, very sad. And um, I just, I, it, it's a missed opportunity, there's no doubt about it. And I worry that from, from both clubs' point of view going forward, I can't see Rangers um, getting anywhere fast in terms of being a real force in in Premier League football they haven't for a long long time and um, this was a chance to do that and Manza well as by their own admission they're going to find it very very tough to find those five six seven really good players to make them survive at um, Premier League level and if they're true to their word and they can't exist at Premier League level the whole club folds They've got to get their skates on because there's not much long. There's not much time between the start of the next season, and um, I'm not sure if they will be um, in the Premier League next season. I hope they do, but I can't say I'm confident. Yeah, Jim, we spoke to Mark Romrell, Manza's coach, uh, a few weeks ago, and he outlined the, the the challenges facing the club if they don't get on the start line next summer and and the whole operation folds. Um, how big a loss will that be up and down local football? Yeah, I think that's you know, clearly disappointing at the top flight level. I think we've um, settled into having nine teams in in the top flight, and it's worked really well. It's been have been generally competitive, which is good. Um, Manza, of course, as well as the Vets team, are carrying two um, other sides in one in Lancaster 1 and one in Lancaster 3. Now, both those teams are effectively 
units within a club that, uh, I mean, yes, they'd call themselves Manza players, but they are not really Manza players across the whole framework of, of the club. So they tend to play for their own teams and you know not play up into the Prio and the, that kind of thing. Um, so I would be worried to, to, or to hope that those uh, two teams would find a home if, uh, if Manza did go to the wall uh, as, as a whole, because, you know, importing a you know group of 15 20 uh, players is not necessarily uh you know, easy easy thing to do but I, so I do hope that they stay for the benefit of the of the lower league um football structure as, as well um i do think you know i feel slightly different to rob about the merger i mean i appreciate i think it could work and and could work really well it seems that half a dozen players and a bit of um uh, expertise at the senior coaching level would really serve uh, Rangers very well, but you know I've seen these kind of things happen before, and you know it starts off with good intentions, and then there's a ba- couple of early bad results, and a couple of guys say actually this is not what I signed up for, and they go down the road. Uh, you know, frankly, Rangers could end up being almost effectively still as they were Rangers um, by Christmas. Uh, you know, when the transfer window um, was to close. So it's far from, you know, anything, solutions such as these are far from guaranteed. And actually, you know, look at how Rangers have uh, um, achieved in the uh, Premier League this season. I think they've done remarkably well for, for where they were. Their, their juniors have come on significantly at that level. And maybe that, you know, they just need to find this season two or three more um uh, senior players, you could offer them something in terms of the, the spine of the side, or you know, a little bit of magic in front of goal. Uh, you know, and if those people were true Rangers and, and, and you know, uh, integrated properly into the club, that would perhaps serve them better than influx of half a dozen dozen players who you know, aren't really feeling it. Who do we think will be playing at KG Five if anyone next? Well, Manza have got a deal um, with GFLM. Um, GFLM have uh, managed to strike a long-term deal with your KG5 people, um, to play a, a large number of games on that grass pitch next season, as well as the 3G. And I gather that it was um, part of that deal. Um, they were they were, they are so keen that Manza to continue, they were more than happy to award Manza 12 guaranteed home games on, on the KG5 grass pitch. So making it affect their home pitch, now, of course, if Rangers had become merged with Manza, Rangers would have got believed they would have got use of that pitch as well, which is what they were very keen to do so, having not got the big deal, should we say, with the KG5, who were very keen to work, um, see, do a deal on a community basis. They didn't want to deal with one specific club. They felt it's much safer from their point of view, and I agree, I fully agree, to deal with the overall body, which is the Guernsey Football League management when it comes to leagues and cups. Um, yeah, so um, we are, we, we are, we've got a great pitch available there and it'd be good to see some good football down there. Whether it'll be Manza or whether it'll be Rangers, who knows? We shall wait and see. Uh, well, that's it for part two. We'll be back uh, with a look at the lower leagues next.
Welcome back. Now, there are still a few games to be played this season, including a few cups to be concluded. As we mentioned, the Guernsey FA Cup final taking place on Saturday. And one side that is still in contention for another is CF Independent, the club gym that you have played an integral part uh, in getting off the ground and developing into a competitive railway force uh, over the last few years. Uh, Indies face St. Martins at Blanche Pierre Lane on Monday night in the Railway Shield uh, semi-final. Uh, Jim, just how big a game is that for CF Independent? Uh, I'd probably say it's the biggest game. 12 years we've been going and it's the biggest game that we've ever played. We've only won, I think, three or four cup matches in our history so to uh, to reach a semi-final of a competition with that carrot of the of the big final date on Saturday is uh, you know not to be underestimated well perhaps some people listening to this will be doing so after the game is played out so we won't talk too much about it but is that a real kind of yardstick for the for the progress that the club has made well we were in with a shout of uh, winning uh, division three and in the end lost out by one point so uh, uh, this is our remaining chance for silverware and you know in our history we've never been any near silverware so to have the chance uh, to to go forward in this competition is massive yeah fantastic well we'll talk more about indies kind of more in general and, and railway football as well and lower division football but i want to bring in a cf indies vet uh, who hung up his boots for the final time last month jeff martel started playing football again at the tender age of 49 uh, that was 27 years ago quite remarkable uh, the 76 year old played an hour in central midfield in his final appearance for indies and i'm thrilled to say he joins us on the line now jeff uh, thanks for being on the pod uh, incredible shift uh, did you ever expect to be uh, playing now when you got back into football at Rovers all those years ago well I hope to like anybody well I've always wanted to play any sport as long as I could um, and I've been very lucky to have had that opportunity over here to be able to do that and talk us through that last game then as I say yeah Jim got an hour out of you at the uh, the CF Indies vets yeah, how did that feel? Was it was it a, a sort of special moment to be uh, to be playing that final game? Oh, it's always very special. It's always special to be out there to be, have the opportunity to play. Um, you know, it was sad that it was my last game, but you have to, at some stage, say that's it. You know, the players are getting younger and I'm getting older, but I loved it. It was it was great, and it was against Rovers, and I've got an affinity. Um, to them because I've played many years down there and knew most of their players. Uh, and it was just great to get out on the pitch and enjoy it. How have you adapted your game as you've kind of moved through the 50s, 60s and 70s? Uh, from front to back, <laughs> basically. Um, but sometimes I, I have a go up front if they've been short because um, I still play with... Uh, there's a Monday night team that I play for every Monday night and we just love playing football and you, you play to, to suit either the opposition or the team that you put out. I gather you've been at uh, Indies for, for the last four seasons. What's it been like playing with, with that side and, and kind of finishing your career there, I guess? Oh, it's great because, you know, I just wanted an opportunity to be able to play and keep playing and I wasn't able, obviously, to get that at Rovers because... They'd introduced a lot of ex-Prio players into their um, their teams and, uh, you know, I asked Jim if there was a possibility of playing there and he's more than welcomed me there and I think the players are great, you know, to keep going as they've been doing and, and getting close uh, to many of the teams and I think they're improving as the years go by and, you know, I'd say to anybody, if you're looking for a game... <laughs> 
Go and see Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, it's Rob here. Um, congratulations on your amazing achievement to be playing so long and still refereeing, of course. But um, can you tell me a, a, and remind our um, listeners of it, your sort of pre days? Because I gather you, you, you won a, a, a trophy medal in the mid-60s for Rangers. Is that right? No, I did. I was... Well, I played for Rangers as a junior, and we won just about everything in the juniors. Um, lucky enough to play in a Portsmouth and score two goals down Jersey against Georgetown. And that was back in, I think, about 1961. Did, uh, did they have the trophy then? As well. <laughs> um, so I left the island when I was 18 to go to the UK to um, do my teaching. But on New Year's Day... Again, I think it was 62. Uh, in those days, for the Prio, uh, you used to get uh, a card sent to you to say if you were playing on the on the Saturday, normally came on a Thursday. Um, I had a card to say, would I turn up at the track on New Year's Day um, just in case I was needed? <laughs> uh, I went down there with my football boots. Um, there were crowds down there, several, I would have said, between one or 2,000 people watching this game against wow. Bell with the likes of Les Collins, Marcus Atissier, all those playing, and Bells were a good team in those days. And uh, Wally didn't turn up. He was held up in the traffic, thanks to me, <laughs> thanks to uh, taking my boots down there. The Rangers said, come on, you're in. So I went in. I was about five minutes late getting on the pitch, went down, scored with my first touch of the game. And we, <laughs> um, we ended up. Again, I think it was some ridiculous score, like 5-3 to Rangers. Um, but, you know, that was my first uh, real pre-O start, you know, and uh, winning that was obviously lovely. But I then left the island. My brother went to Saints in that, you know, awesome Saints pre-O team. Um, and I went up there and played one or two games when I came back from uh, being in the UK. Um, and that was probably about, oh no, I, I had one more Prio. I played for Rovers in my fifties up at, uh, up at Saints, um, uh, in a Prio game. I got called up for that one and I'd already was, it was a Sunday game and I was out for a meal and, uh, uh, I got called up, went up there and we had to be an hour before, but because I was out with a meal with my parents. By the time I got there, it was a bit late. I wasn't late for the game, but it was about 45 minutes to go. And they said, where you been? I said, well, <laughs> I was looking for the Saints pitch. And I said, I went all up around Fort George and couldn't see the pitch anymore. But, of course, nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> nobody ever knew that Saints ever played up Fort George. <laughs> uh, that fell on deaf ears, I'm afraid. But I enjoyed it. It was, it was, you know, I'm just glad to get on the pitch. You know, I'd keep going more, but, you know, you just have to at some stage say that's it. I might come back at 80, I'm not sure yet. Well, brilliant. It's a brilliant effort, Jeff. Well done. Well, I gather you're not done entirely. You've got one eye on walking football, is that right? That's right, yeah. So I started playing in the last year, just below less than a year. Um, and it's brilliant down there. I think Paul down there is doing a super job. Uh, you know, got a good environment for people. And I, I'd always say to them, if you're interested, go down. They do several sessions a week. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it needs now to, because of the amount of players that he's got down there, obviously they have to look at 
how they're going to structure it in the future. Because if they want to start entertaining ex-players as such, you know, those people who may be in their 50s or 40s that want to do something else, then that's where the next, I think, uh, objective for them has to be. Because, you know, it, it, if you wanted to get on, and I would like to still think I could keep going, I'd like to try and now go for uh, trials in the UK, which is my objective for either the over-70s or the over-75s, which Paul's put me forward for. There'll be an over-90s spot for you, Jeff, uh, one day, I, <laughs> I can sense. Um, it's, <laughs> it's interesting uh, Interesting what you say, Jeff, about the walking football, because Jersey, of course, have a walking football league where the clubs put teams in. So I think there's four or five, uh, six teams in Jersey that take part in the walking football. Yeah, so I, think I wonder if that would come off in Guernsey. Yeah. But then you've got to have the structure to be able to take it, which is all the referees and everything like that. You know what I mean? And I, it, it's on the cards. It, it'll happen. You know, it, it takes time to get these things going and you, you need so many people to help you. And they're very fortunate they have one behind the scenes, but you've still got to have them out there on the field of play to be able to make things happen properly. Well, we'll see how it develops. Jeff, thanks so much for sparing some time. Uh, good luck with the walking football. Thank you very much indeed. All the best and... Uh, I hope CF Indies do get somewhere this time. <laughs> Good luck anyway. <laughs> Jim, Jim's crossing his fingers. <laughs> cheers, Jeff. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Jim, what's it been like having Jeff as uh, part of the club the last four years? Uh, so I I played with Jeff when he restarted at Rovers. I was already there in the railway team when he joined. Uh, I remember thinking, uh, what's this old guy doing trying to get into the team? Of course, he was the, you know, younger than I am now uh, at, at that point. But um, also, uh, Jeff you know, was a great teammate, but a terrible teammate in training because he'd kick you up in the air constantly. Uh, so, so I've got a lot of good memories of Jeff, but a few bad ones as well. And it, yeah, Indy's still a um, pretty young club, as we said. Um, but but things have really come on. That's despite having John Fernandez playing at, at centre back. Um, what, what's been the key to kind of making it work on and off the pitch? Uh, it started so we started as a vets team in two thousand and nine, um, and it was like that for about four or five years. And then the railway league restarted in GFA football. Uh, and we entered a team separately at first, initially, uh, Media United, which I, I ran with John. Uh, and then we uh, merged those two clubs together. So effectively putting the um, railway and vets team uh, under the same under the same banner. Uh, we did uh, integrate a club when the Sunday League and the Business League folded uh, and took on a bunch of players. Uh, that crashed and burned pretty quickly. Um, and so two or three of those guys are still playing with us, but most of them disappeared very, very quickly. Uh, and so, you know, that's slight, that and a cricket experience of a merger has slightly scarred me in terms of how sporting mergers uh, can happen. But so we just built steadily. We were reaching a point where we had too many railway players to accommodate in one team. So this season for the first time, we put a second team in, uh, allowed us to recruit a few more players, a few more good players have come along the scene. Uh, and But I think, you know, invariably you have to do these things by stealth. It's you know, a quick fix solution rarely works out in my experience. And what's next? Uh, you know, is revision to 
to sort of uh, creep further and further up the, the football ladder? Well, well, on the basis of what I saw Saturday, I thought we might enter the Jeremy Cup next season. But uh, no, uh, seriously, I think it's uh, more stability. Uh, you know, it is a massive leap to go from Division 2 and Division 3 into Division 1 and Prio football. And uh, it's one I don't think we're ready for quite yet. Well, yeah, you, you will have seen uh, a lot of lower division football um, this season. Uh, let's, just, let's just kind of uh, take a, a little look back at, at what's been happening and, and who's been standing out because things have, have pretty much concluded now yeah so the leagues are all uh, are all done now um you know I can walk you through uh, the the lancaster structure so division one was won by north uh, with saints and rovers uh, second and third uh, i'm not surprised about that at all yeah, north have a uh, a few um players who are of a decent level who are just under that prio for, for whatever reason whether they're choosing not to play it or uh, you know just not quite making that first team squad but also the the bulk of their squad in under 18s and under 16s are, are, are propping up that team in uh, in Lancaster one and you know they've got a lot of very good players there I and mean, they won both the 18s league and the 16s league at a distance so it's no surprise that those guys are, are already able to um you know to perform well at the uh, Lancaster one level which is a strange level because it's not quite Prio, but generally if you're not of that standard, there's an awful lot of Prio players or Prio bench players playing in it. And so you know you do have to be a cut above a Division 2 player generally to succeed in, uh, in Division 1. I also would say that it's no surprise that those three teams are the three teams that are leading the leading the division because they're the ones with the um, the infrastructure to be bringing in their under 18s at that level and that is generally the level where your most talented uh, young players will, would play um, the teams in division two and three tend to be self-contained teams quite often teams of mates really and it would be difficult as a 16 17 18 year old to break into those squads yeah, and uh, down into two and three. Yeah, so Division Two, Rockane Pirates were the winners there. Again, that was a kind of three-way contest uh, for much of the season uh, between them, uh, their um, uh, groundmates, Sylvans and Rovers. Um, but Rockane, you know, got a lot of uh, very good players. Uh, some lads who've been playing pre you know, fairly uh, recently. I mean, Ben Bullock left. North to join Rockane Pirates during the season uh, and found uh, me marking him for 20 minutes a few uh, few weeks ago, which didn't necessarily end well. But, um, <laughs> well, for you? <laughs> well, it's only a few minutes before I took well, I hear his off. confidence has suddenly risen up, risen very highly. <laughs> but Rockane are a decent side and they're still in the Railway Shield, so uh, maybe we've got uh, hopes of, uh, of uh, meeting them again in the, uh, in the Shield final. Um, Division 3, I've got to say, you know, obviously I've been long involved in this. It genuinely is one of the greatest leagues in, in Guernsey football. You know, the players are more or less the same guys who, who turn up every week. So you don't get any surprise people dropping down the, the leagues to suddenly appear at that level. And it's a really competitive league. I mean, it, um, a month before the season's end, there were five teams all with realistic hopes of winning that title. Uh, and in the end, North did so. So... It came to the crunch with a few games left that um, essentially North needed to win their last four and Indies needed to win their last five. And whoever, uh, whoever would uh, would manage to do that would win the league. Uh, North's games were all in a tight period. So I think they, they played three out of their four before we played uh, the first of our five. And 
they'd won those three games, some of them, you know, nervy one nils, but they'd won them. Uh, and then we uh, failed to beat Vale Rex. So basically, they, the North needed to win one further game to win the league, which which they did. Um, of course, once we'd once we'd got that um, monkey off our backs and failed to win, we then went on to win all our remaining games handsomely. But uh, by then, of course, it was it was too late. Um, but North, uh, Indies, Rec, Saints, and Manza were all uh, very competitive in that league. And what's your view about the overall sort of health of uh, low division football in Guernsey? Then I think it's uh, really good. There was a period when the railway league was uh, abandoned, as some people might remember, about 2008 time. You know, I was not playing at the time, but was refereeing, and you just basically see the same guys were turning out for you know Prio Jackson Railway. You know, there just wasn't that um, rump of players. Um, you know, there is some good, you know, relatively well-defined squads, certainly in, in divisions two and three, which I think you know is good for the health of the game. Um, probably say to be honest that the standard is increasing massively all the time and that's while that might sound like a good thing it's also a bit of a worry for me because why would you or how would you start unless you were taking good players out of prior football to, to play at that low, lowest level nowadays um, when when the railway restarted and the team we were putting out back in 2013-14 you know, would uh, no would have absolutely no chance of competing in in today's Division Three. You know, the, the, but it was it was relatively you know competitive in, in those days because the standard was was uh, was much less than it than it is now. Um, but and also there's you know when you think we used to have Sunday League and Business League, which for a long while was carrying players who weren't playing GFA football. I don't think all that many players have, have come across from from those leagues. So arguably, there could be. Uh, an untapped market of say 500 footballers in, in Guernsey who currently aren't um, uh, aren't playing uh, any kind 500? of 500. That sounds well, a remarkable. That's, that's slightly ambitious, but um, mate, and I think the GFA is well, aware. Knock a zero off there. <laughs> no, 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 I definitely think there's quite a few. Um, the, the GFA is, is aware of this, and I think you know you have to consider nowadays that not everybody wants to really get their kicks playing 11 aside football. Um, so. You know, walking football, as Jeff was, uh, was, was talking about, um, uh, um, five aside, seven aside, you know, the, uh, super sixes at, um, at KG five. All those different structures have got a place in providing football nowadays. You know, it's not just uh, you know eleven v eleven on a you know, uh, you know ground like the track or something with a referee and two linesmen, etc. Yeah, smaller the pitch, the better, really, for me, I think. <laughs> well, great stuff. I mean, we better leave it there. It's been a, a very long season, and it's pretty much done and dusted. Before we go, another congratulations in order for Mayor Letizia. She's been named as Brighton Women's Young Player of the Season. Uh, very well deserved. And there's a really nice interview with her and Coach Hope Powell on Brighton's Twitter feed, which is worth checking out. Um, Hope Powell, of course, a former England manager, and she says that she thinks Mayor has a bright future as a senior international. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, well, thanks, chaps. Watch out for coverage of next week's Guernsey FA Cup final online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GSY Press Sport is where you'll find us on all of those and don't forget to pick up a paper as well every day for all the best local sport coverage uh, we'll be back next thursday with the guernsey press sport podcast and with more football pods next season for now take care and we'll see you next time cheers